Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Sometimes you're fighting a war, but you don't know who you're fighting. The government knows that it's already infiltrated by people who want to take it over, but they don't know exactly who those people are. Okay, 80 million people bordered by eight volatile nations, including Syria and Iraq. The 18th biggest economy in the world, ahead of Saudi Arabia and Switzerland. A geostrategically vital bridge between Europe and the Middle East. And a military firewall against ISIS and Al-Qaeda. One critical nation state that since its botch coup has been in a state of paranoia. We talk Turkey with my favorite source on the subject. Full disclosure, stay with us. This week's broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by my good friends at Elwood Thompson since 1989, located at the top of Carytown, really the best market in Richmond. Customer empowerment, non-GMO, no advertising to children, locally made and prepared foods, healthy oils. You have a food advocate there. You have a health coach. You have Rick and Molly Hood. You have Indian Wednesdays and the third Thursday pairings menus. You must check them at the corner of Elwood's and Thompson's, hence the name, and at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us from Manhattan is Chalar Somek, Senior Portfolio Manager for Times Square Capital Management, which is $16 billion strong. He's a specialist on emerging and frontier markets. He was born in Turkey. Such a treat to have you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Robin. Uh, One disclaimer that we have to get out there, the views expressed by Chalar Somek are his personal views and not the view of his employer, Times Square Capital Management. They're not a recommendation to buy or sell securities. Uh, If that's the cost of getting a guy like you on on my show, I'm happy to (laughs) say it 20 times throughout the hour. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's a, it's a joy. I want to understand something, Chalar. The saying is, if you're going to kill the king, you need to really make sure you kill the king. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. It's not a Confucius thing. I actually saw it on the, the last season of Silicon Valley. Uh, Turkey is a country that's no stranger to military coups. It has a fine tradition of, of seeing them every 20 years or so. How was this botched coup so half-assed? I would say that Turkey is no longer used to military coups. Uh, you know, there has been major structural changes, uh, you know, we've seen since 1980s. This is no longer a low-income country. We're basically talking about a country that has a middle income, um, close to $10,000 per capita. A fairly developed, uh, you know, economy in terms of diversification and in terms of openness. I think, you know, this was actually a fairly, fairly surprise, big surprise, I would say, for, for someone like me and, and for my family and my friends, because no one, even people who are opposed to Erdogan or the AKP government, you know, they're not willing to, to, to see and to live under a military regime. Um, if anything, everyone is kind of has been fighting for more democracy, more human rights, you know, more freedom of expression. Um, and I would also maybe add to, you know, the, the, the description. I, I have a problem with describing this as a coup uh, because the army overall, and we're, not, we're, we're talking about a fraction of the army that uh, created a, a revolt as opposed to the whole army um, being behind this coup. So even within the army, I think, you know, a, a large portion of the army, I would say a majority of the army was against the coup. Uh, and and that's why you know I believe it's it's failed. If the army overall, especially especially the secularist uh, part of the army, was behind the coup, I don't think that uh, there was any way to 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 kind of stop it. 
We are seeing Amnesty International stepping forward. I mean, the coup was was attempted on July 15th. Uh, and, and Amnesty, the human rights group, is saying captured military officers have been raped by the police, hundreds of soldiers beaten, some detainees denied food and water and access to lawyers for days. Um, 15,000 people overall detained. And I saw one stat in the Wall Street Journal this morning that up to a third of that is high-ranking military officials. Now, this is what I don't understand, the asymmetry of this. You have since since really uh, Turkey was laid low, its financial crisis in 2002, a, a hugely successful emerging market story, but one that is also run parallel to increasing autocracy. I mean, Erdogan's administration is less democratic, is is giving journalists a harder time, has purged the military uh, earlier. I mean, on, on the surface, he says he wants a more, quote, pious state. But what we're seeing is a consolidation under one man's rule, which is pretty contrary to how this country was conceived of 100 years ago. I would say that I, I actually agree that there's uh, the tendency over the past five, six years have been towards more authoritarianism. And, and I think, you know, if anything, hopefully this coup will be an eye opener for Erdogan as opposed to, you know, as, a, as opposed to basically going through the same process of, you know, um, human rights violations or, or, you know, basically closing, closing the mass media, closing the freedom of expression. Um, I am seeing some initial signs of unity as a, as, as a result of this coup. Meaning that, you know, Erdogan and AKP, for the first time, you know, I haven't seen this for a while, but the last Sunday, they allowed an opposition, main opposition party, to do, to, to basically organize a, a, a big rally in, in Istanbul, in Taksim Square. And this is quite symbolic because Taksim Square is where the Gezi protests started. And since then, no opposition parties no opposition movements were allowed to demonstrate. And the demonstration was, was about, uh, you know, democracy and was about freedom of expression and was about, uh, you know, what was, was all the uh, opposition parties getting together and even AKP, you know, participated to this rally um, asking for more democracy. Um, so I'm seeing some initial signs that maybe Erdogan is softening a little bit but it's, uh, it, it is to be seen whether this is the start of uh, a new era, a new kind of uh, trend. Um, I agree with you historically in the past five, six years, Turkey did not move forward. They actually, you know, have, uh, have, have, have an environment that was not very conducive to, um, I would say, investors from um, humans, uh, human rights perspective, from... Uh, freedom of expression, but also issues with uh, property rights. Um, we were hoping that actually this coup, because, you know, again, I mean, you have to analyze this. It's not as simple as it seems, maybe on the media, because the coup itself was, uh, was organized by people who were actually the allies of Erdogan earlier in his, uh, in his first uh, 10 years in the office. Um, so that, that's a key thing to remember. He was... He was always feeling threatened by by secular establishment and, and opposition, and 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 here he get uh, he, he basically got um, hit by you know people who who he considered as allies. Now I want to understand something specifically in this Chalar. Used to be that we were were told I think in in European history class and in history class and in high school was that Turkey in the 20th century, at least its coming of age as Turkey out of the Ottoman Republic 
was a bulwark for secularism, uh, that it was much more Western-facing than it was, uh, you know, looking toward the East. But you you do hear stories now that the country has had a religious revival. The hijab has returned in full force in mm-hmm. some cities. I mean, his party is is Islamically tinged. If it's not outright, you know, like the Ayatollahs in Iran, at least it is openly uh, pious, like he says himself. What is the mood of the country right now in terms of uh, religion informing politics. What what have you seen? It's a bit mixed. Um, earlier, in if, if you recall, I mean, just maybe a little bit of history and background. Uh, when AKP was formed, was formed. AKP stands for what? Uh, it's AK Party. Uh, it's uh, it's basically uh, it's it's Justice and and Development Party in, uh-huh. in English. It stands for Justice and Development, and and that's exactly what they stood for earlier. Is that you know justice for all, no discrimination with, b- between pious or, or secular establishment, and they will they were going to focus on on developing the country, development through infrastructure and industrialization, and and the first uh, ten years or I would say the first eight years of the, the administration, uh, we thought that this was more of a movement that uh, you know was more like a conservative uh, European conservative parties. They're very open-minded in terms of the economy, trade and, and industrialization focus, uh, open trade, you know, competition, uh, making sure that Turkish companies are actually uh, are, are competing. And Turkey earlier, maybe, maybe you know, you don't have any other country in Europe, as far as I know, who actually opened up to trade with European Union without asking for a membership. Turkey did actually have a custom union without being part of European Union and benefiting from the aids and 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 flows uh, so so therefore expose its industries from auto to electronics to textile to competition you know and an open competition um, which you know we've initially feared that this this was going to be a big uh, you know it, this 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 is this was going to be at the detriment of Turkish industries but it actually strengthened the Turkish industries Turkish companies were able to adapt and we're able to increase productivity, and uh, you know, and 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 suddenly Turkey became a major force of exports, mm. from autos to electronics to white goods, and and Turkish companies started, you know, even uh, buying European companies in in those sectors. So, and AKP was was a driving force behind that move, you know, starting from 2002, 2003, you know, making sure that Turkey is competitive, uh, and and at the same time they, you know. The uh, the party under Erdogan and Abdullah Gül they focused on infrastructure. So when you go to Turkey, you kind of you know if if you were in Turkey ten years ago versus you go now, you would be very very surprised you know in terms of the level of development, airports, bridges, roads. You know these are this is like day and night. Uh, so they they did a lot of good things early on, um, but with the uh, with the recent uh, and this started about four or five years ago. Uh, when you know there was a Gezi protest, you know a Erdogan, protest, a protest in the park, the protest in the park, and it all started a very, uh, I, I think, you know, innocent protest. There was no real political movement behind it. it. Was across the board, all political parties or political, you know, views were expressed, and it was about environment. It was about you know creating green, more green in in Istanbul because. As I said, development infrastructure fine, but the government did not do much in terms of creating green space for you know Istanbul you know people, 
uh, when you, you you fly to Turkey to Istanbul, now you see a lot of big you know big buildings, bridges, roads. You see skyscrapers, but you don't see as much green. You don't see a central park. Mm. You don't see places that people can just go and with their families and breed. So it was a very uh, you know I would say innocent type of protest movement. And and Erdogan made it sound like it was a coup against him, almost like a you know he he crushed you know this uh, this protest movement very very uh, heavy handedly, and it created a backlash. And since then he's been quite uh, quite uh, you know restrictive in terms of you know going after all. It's the, almost uh, preemptive crackdowns. Anybody that he suspects, he purges. Any anybody it, in the press, I mean, even brokerage licenses, you're seeing revoked. But, but but it, you know it, this is all about again. I mean this you know just to bring you back to today. You know I think what he was he was uh, being threatened was was within his uh, his alliance. Um, I believe he he thought that behind even this protest there was Gulen movement. Um, and because this cleric, started, this cleric that's in this asylum this, in, in yeah, Pennsylvania, this, ex- right. exactly because the, the cleric is uh, also I wouldn't. Uh, you know, call this cleric as uh, as as peaceful as maybe it's portrayed by the media. Well, hold on, hold on. Before you before you sure. even get into that, let's concentrate on the economy here, which for all of his uh, you know inconsistencies as a democratically elected leader, or a person with uh, autocratic tendencies, um, it has been an exceptional story in uh, developing markets since that 2002 financial crisis there. Um, but I see now um, this stat that Bloomberg's sovereign credit risk model is throwing out is that Turkey's mm-hmm. credit mm-hmm. after the coup, good two weeks after the coup, is riskier than about 80% of the world's countries. So this is where you're at the nexus of kind of politics and, and economics. If people, uh, investors the world over, are not as assured that Turkey is a normal you know, second world country that has EU type tendencies. Not that the EU means great things these days, right? Uh, <laughs> this has definitely had a cost. If you think about the stock market, the currency, uh, this has people really worried. Uh, it did worry people because, as I as as I mentioned, I mean, if this uh, coup were successful, um, I I as an investor think that it would actually be worse um, because. You know, at least now there's a there's a venue for, you know, expressing views, which is the parliament. At least now, even though you know a lot of uh, the media is under you know the government control, there is, there are still newspapers that you can you can read and and criticizing you know Erdogan or AKP. So there is some I wouldn't say no freedom of expression, but some freedom of expression, some free media. Um, and if the coup happened, I I would think that, you know, we would not be able to hear or read any opposition views. And, and, and as I mentioned, the coup also seems, and there are, I don't have a hard evidence, but I see a lot of signs that the coup was organized and orchestrated by a group within the army who actually is uh, also very religiously oriented, mm. who was infiltrated in the army. So I would think that their their kind of uh, way of life, you know, would have been worse for for the for the mass, uh, and and so I would have thought that if the coup were successful, 
then I think the outcome would, would have been much worse. There's something interesting that you noticed. Uh, you did send me a piece from Danny Roderick, uh, Unconventional Thoughts About Economic Development and Globalization. Uh, the, 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 the question that's posed out there is uh, this cleric uh, Gulen in Pennsylvania behind Turkey's coup. And one excerpt in it said, traditionally, Turkish coups are produced by Kemalist secularists, but hardline secularists have lost their control of the military thanks to trials during 2008 to 2011, which led to their imprisonment and discharge. Their ranks have been filled by officers more pliant to Erdogan and in all likelihood to Gulen himself. Um, so there's a lot of innuendo in this that, one, it doesn't check out. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, as Machiavellian as it sounds, I mean, after all, 260 people were killed. Some people were crushed to death by tanks. Uh, some people were strangled. That uh, This was potentially staged by the leader himself, Erdogan, to consolidate power? Do you throw any credit at that? Um, I hardly doubt that was the case, given, you know, the uh, now that I, we know more of these events, uh, just to give you an idea, um, it, it, uh, it is now pretty obvious that Erdogan was able to save his life by 20 minutes, you know. Uh, he, he was he was informed by one of his relatives that something is going on. So he left with his uh, security, uh, you know, circle, uh, the hotel that he was vacationing, um, because you know he was he was asked by one of his relatives to leave the premises, that his life could be under threat. So he was able to uh, you know to 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 basically avoid an assassination attempt by twenty minutes, and then when the team arrived there. The, the, the assassins basically they killed uh, security people. They uh, you know they they caused damage. And irony um, of ironies is that he takes to FaceTime on his iPhone to reassert control yeah. of the country, which he has cracked down in the past on social media and messengers. And, and there have been and, periodic and brownouts of these of these uh, messenger and, services. And the, the 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 other irony, which you probably haven't read about, is that he did uh, connect to a network. Uh, you know, television network that he considered as a as an opposition network, and and he was not he was quite hostile with them for a long long time. So actually, a more of a secular you know uh, network or or considered secular before. So he always saw them as uh, he even like in the past I think in his speeches he accused them of being coup plot plotters. So that network helped him to reach out to crowds. And, uh, and and gave him, you know, the spot so that he can actually, uh, uh, you know, start a movement by the people uh, to oppose this fraction of the army that was trying to um, to overthrow him. <laughs> Turkey, I have to say, uh, this is this is gallows humor, but has a fine tradition of uh, uh, winner takes all. If I remember correctly, that <laughs> in the race to was it was it Constantinople, the son who gets there second, uh, not only does not acquire uh, the crown, but gets executed. Is that correct? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is the you do not suffer you do not suffer fools gladly, and it's just amazing to a lot of people that this. This coup for as many people were involved that there weren't leaks that got out. I mean, he had suspected that some people were agitating in that direction. But when when actual bridges were blocked and we were getting messages, I think, on a Friday night that this was happening, <laughs> it completely blindsided him and, and many of his allies in the army. Um, interesting enough, actually, they, uh, they've been, you know, again, I mean, the, their, their former allies, uh, Gulen movement people who were infiltrated to different uh, parts of the government. 
from intelligence to uh, to Ministry of Education to Ministry of Foreign Affairs to military were being excluded from their um, positions. You know, they were being pushed out by Erdogan for the past few years, um, since 2013, 2014. And, and there were reports already in the media prior to the coup that Erdogan was going to announce, you know, um, at the military council that they were going to have in August, uh, the exclusion or the firing of uh, thousands of military officials who were associated with the Gulen movement. Hmm. So the coup, part of the the theory is that uh, the meeting that he was going to have, you know, to, to exclude those people from the military was uh, pushed forward so they he was and and the coup uh, plotters they they got caught off guard they had to also push forward their coup and that's why the coup was so uh, unprepared and and so badly organized so in in other words they the, the if the coup did not happen the the, the the this fraction of the army was was going to be to be sidelined mm-hmm. so they panicked and then they kind of before they get they got sidelined by Erdogan, they wanted to overthrow him. Um, right. But he was already fighting these people. He was already trying to exclude these people from the army, um, you know, knowing that even, even you know, there are some um, speculations that, uh, you know, the military incident that Turkey had a couple of months, not a couple of, maybe it's four or five months back, you know, when the military jet, Russian military jet was downed, um, you know, the pilots uh, were accused to be part of the Gudan movement. Mm. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad, joining us from uh, the heart of Times Square, actually, the most densely packed part of the developed world, the most chaotic part of America, I could say, uh, is, um, let's call him Turkish Delight or Young Turk Chalar Somek. He's Senior Portfolio Manager for Times Square Capital Management, which is $16 billion strong. Um, I want to understand something. When you purge the military uh, ranks that you did for loyalists at a time when you are so geostrategically important. I mean, Turkey is a bridge for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of refugees trying to to flee failed states like Syria and come to Europe. Uh, Turkey is a bridge for uh, members of of you know ISIS and and other places that also want to infiltrate Europe. This has to worry the West and and the NATO powers, and that. Um, because of domestic political concerns, you could have a dilution of Turkey's military resolve. Um, you're 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 right on. Um, I I'm very worried as a as a uh, Turkish American, uh, not only for Turkey but for the region, um, for the reasons that you you stated. Because the army has weakened quite a lot. First, uh, again, I mean, you you referred earlier by uh, you know t- all these. Uh, um, legal action against the secular establishment that was fabricated by the Gulen movement and now the Gulen movement you know against the Gulen movement people so a lot of the uh, senior members of the army they're they're pushed out uh, so you're left with uh, you know people with uh, a lot less experience but you're also left with uh, an army that is that the morale is probably uh, uh, so down that people are are, are kind of you know worried about their future and and worried about uh, you know why why they're fighting you know wars and why they're kind of uh, you know in the army. So I'm I'm you know very worried and and there are precedents to this um, 
you know, in the Ottoman Empire, you know, you mentioned Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire has always had, you know, strong army, but uh, toward the end of the Ottoman Empire, uh, there were periods that when the army was attempting coups against uh, the Sultan, you know, the Sultan fired a lot of uh, military, and then he even reformed the Janissaries. You know, there, there's an episode that uh, Janissaries were, you know, um, were, were basically uh, closed. The army, uh, th th these were the uh, the core army officers and, and, and fighters. And, and, and the Ottoman Empire was so weakened that, you know, Russian invasion happened right after that. And Russians came all the way through uh, Istanbul. And and the only way to save Istanbul was was basically uh, the Britain and uh, the superpowers of that period. They had to intervene. Mm. So so we we are. I mean, we're not in a in a in a period like that. It's not maybe it's not apples to apples comparison. But by weakening the army, you're weakening a country that has been a balance uh, balancing power in the region between uh, Eastern Europe and, and 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 Middle East, and and exposing also Europe. To different threats from ISIS to um, you know all sorts of extreme extreme uh, um, terrorists, um, and I think what is being speculated now is that Erdogan is looking to um, to to and AKP is looking and they're discussing. I don't think that they the decision is final yet, but I'm reading news about uh, they're closing some military schools. They're they're you know looking at uh, you know moving. Uh, the army installations outside cities—they're—they're—they're they're, they're trying to maybe uh, you know change uh, change the reporting system. So they're doing a lot of things that will also confuse a lot of uh, people in Turkey. You know the, the army. So my fear is that the army is not going to be uh, is going to be very distracted for for a while. Um, and it's a it's a pretty inopportune place to be distracted. As we said, it's bordered by eight countries. It is that bridge, you know, uh, right there on the Black Sea. You have Bulgaria, Syria, Armenia, uh, Lebanon's not too far off. Uh, Greek is Iran. not Iran. I mean, let me exclude my I, I, own. Iran, Iran, Syria, Iraq. Iran, I mean, that, Syria, that Iraq, three. and then uh, you know you Just, could uh, you could theoretically walk from Kabul to you know uh, what Bulgaria and then and then Bonn and Dresden and all those places. I mean, yeah, if you were yeah. crazy enough. But the point is here is that, and this is a really porous border. Um, uh, the the oceans. I mean, kind of. You know, you talk about the people coming into Greece or trying to make it to Greece. And then there's this controversy up until, I say, five, six, seven years ago, it was the conventional wisdom that Turkey thought it had earned an invitation to the European Union. I don't even know if it would want to be in the EU right now. I don't know where it, one, situates itself economically and, and whether the EU would want to inherit a situation like this. I, I do I do think that uh, there's a little bit of blame for Europe for everything that has that is happening. Uh, in Turkey, so I I can't. How really, so? How so? Explain that. Um, I can explain very easily. It's very simple. Uh, Europe, you know, Turkey actually knocked on European Union's door 55, 53 or fifty five years ago, um, and has been on this uh, waiting room for a long, long time. And many other countries who came, you know, on basically uh, knocking on that door without enough preparation, they were admitted to European I Union. I mean, just look at Greece, which has not historically yeah. had great yeah. relations with with Europe. And, I mean, it's really botched its entry. I mean, a lot of people would love to have excised Greece off of the EU experiment. I mean, it's been something that you look at the other economies like Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain, and how yeah. you've had to mutualize their debts. And I can imagine if you're 
Turkey and saying, wow, our economy has been great shakes for the better part of 15 years. And, and meanwhile, these other places have been fiscal basket cases. And a lot of them have actually been frauds, if you think about under-reporting their debts. Uh, why, why do we have to be like chopped liver compared to these guys who are already inside that club? And, and just to give you an idea, I mean, Turkey's uh, fiscal management has been probably the best after Germany in Europe. Um, do you have, you know, probably Turkey is maybe the only country in Europe that uh, meets the Maastricht criteria. You're saying you're saying Turkey is the only country in Europe. Is it a country in Europe? Uh, it is a good question. It it used to be closer to Europe. Now it's moving more towards Middle East. Uh, and, and certainly importing all the troubles that uh, we've been seeing in in, uh, in Iraq and Syria, uh, just by the sheer fact that it's it's bordering those countries. Um, but but is a, it, just going back to the earlier argument, I, I think that uh, you know the fact that Turkey was was not admitted or was not you know treated equally uh, within European Union uh, that created a lot of uh, you know I would say resentments. Uh, by the politicians in 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 Turkey and in in and in, in, and you know there were no more carrots uh, for them mm-hmm. to reform the political environment and 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 continue with the democratization. To what extent Chalar have the tables turned right now, where Turkey could say, "We don't want your stinking invite." Uh, after all, the UK has voted to leave you, and nobody wants you know you need us more than we need you at this point. Any validity to that? I think they're already saying pretty openly that. We now know that you will never admit us. You know, you will always find a reason. And we do think that, I mean, this is what the politicians are saying in Turkey now. Uh, We do know that the reason why you're not admitting us is not, you know, our track record on the economy. And it's not our track record on on democratization. And this is, again, five years ago, not now, uh, not in the current context. But uh, we know that the reason is is more religious, is more cultural, is more you know you want to you want you want to keep the union as a is uh, is a, a, a more of a you know Christian union. Hmm. Uh, that's what being you know said to the people in Turkey by the politicians. Yeah, well, this week the State Department authorized the voluntary departure of relatives of employees at the U.S. Embassy in Ankara and uh, Consulate General in Istanbul, citing the state of emergency declared in Turkey after the attempted coup. So even, you know, the State Department's going to, for free, fly people out who decide to leave. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's one thing to be a jilted lover and to be angry at the European Union. It's another thing to potentially start regressing from maybe emerging economy into something less than that. If you're if you're letting anger and uh, vindictiveness kind of guide some, some policies that can be economically destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can be critical of the policies, and I kind of see but at the same time i think you know i i kind of see what they're trying to fight against you know it's almost this asymmetrical war that we're referring to in the west sometimes you're fighting a war but you don't know who you're fighting with um it it is it is a similar kind of maybe not exactly but similar phenomenon Mm -hmm. in this case the government knows that it's already infiltrated by people who want to take it over but they don't know exactly who those people are. And with this coup, they're claiming that now they know more because they have been able to capture a lot of documents and, and a lot of names, you know, that were, just to give you an idea, that some of the documents that they claim they've captured had the entire government positions planned behind the scenes and what these coup platters they would appoint 
to various type of roles, from the prime minister to central bank to uh, so they so, so so there is a reason why the government is acting so decisively and so quickly, um, because knowing that the uh, justice system also in Turkey is, if you want to go through you know the a normal process you would never be able to fight those people within the government. You know, it would take like uh, two decades and you would still be, uh, you know, uh, having having all these tr- tribunals and having the process going on. Right. So there, there is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that I totally agree with what they're doing or, 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 or how they're approaching it, but I, 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 I see, you know, where they're coming from. My preference, you know, again, as a Democrat, I would say would be, to um, to see you know the, the justice improve and then use democratic uh, processes improve and and not you know take an emergency decree like this and sure. then short short now having having everything. said that Chalar this is a loaded question from a person born in Iran I'm giving you all the standard disclaimers like I gave with Times Square Capital at the, the very top of the show uh, and being Iranian it means that I must have necessarily some fraction of my blood is is Persian emperor and given to conspiracy <laughs> theories uh, would would Barack Obama and John Kerry have really sobbed in agony if the coup plotters were successful if there was a a secular type military person like a uh, I guess Sisi in Egypt, which they didn't really sob so much when he knocked out Morsi, even though that was a military coup. Mm-hmm. Would the West have been happy on balance? Would Israel have been happy on balance? Would Saudi Arabia, some of the other countries that have significant tensions with Turkey as it's gotten stronger and it's been able to to beat its chest more loudly, would they would they have hated to see I, the back I, of, of Erdogan? I doubt this um, because, firstly, the premise that this was a secular coup is the wrong one. Um, because first of all, what we, we've learned since the coup that the coup, you know, seems to have been planned by a faction that is non-secular, uh, a former ally of AKP, um, and and therefore their their premise is a more religious and pious state than even you know maybe Erdogan is imagining. Um, secondly, I think you know we should also be aware that uh, Erdogan. Just as as uh, recent as just last month, he changed course drastically with regards to you know neighboring countries. Uh, he issued an apology to Russia for the uh, you know downing of Russian jet incident. He actually signed a peace deal and and and, and a I wouldn't call it a peace deal maybe a, a a deal with Israel to become friends again. Um, and and you could argue there there are economic reasons behind because of you know the energy find you know in the in eastern Mediterranean and 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 you know economic interest for all countries involved, uh, but but he was already moving towards a more conciliatory and and more friendly type of foreign policy mm. uh, mix. So the fact that this coup is happening right after these friendly. Um, I, I do I do believe that this uh, this coup again it would not have been um, even if it were successful uh, in the interest of the neighboring countries and and the United States mm. and I think that's why you you've seen this uh, stance from the United States that uh, was actually more supportive of the uh, democratically elected government. 
We're talking to Chalar Somik, joining us from uh, the heart of Manhattan, uh, 42nd Street. He's Senior Portfolio Manager for Times Square Capital Management, $16 billion strong. And you are an emerging and frontier market specialist. Uh, we've, we've talked about this before. Where does Turkey sit in the grand scheme of, you know, if you have frontier economies which are really on the brink, places like Bangladesh, uh, the Philippines, Vietnam, uh, then emerging economies that have advanced much more like Brazil, uh, maybe China, maybe Colombia, and then developed economies such as Canada, the United States, West Germany. Where where is where is Turkey on that spectrum today versus where it was ten years ago? Turkey's uh, is is closer to a Brazil, closer to um, you know a uh, basically as I characterized at the beginning of our conversation, it's a middle income economy. It's no longer a low income economy. You cannot compare Turkey to Bangladesh, you know, with thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars per income per capita versus ten thousand dollars income per capita. In terms of the degree of development, you know, we're talking about a much more advanced economy. As you mentioned, it's the eighteenth largest economy in the world, with uh, you know probably one of the largest armies in the region, uh, and and you have also a. a, a pretty large influence um, of Turkey in the Middle East. Uh, you know, it has, uh, Turkey has had good relations over the past 10, 15 years with countries like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and all the energy producers. Um, but what also has a huge influence in, uh, in, in Caucasian, uh, in Central um, Asia, um, because you have all these Turkic republics between Turkey and China uh, that are spread from, uh, you know, uh, I would say I would call from Azerbaijan, which is a, a neighbor, um, to, all the way to uh, to Mongolia. You know, you have you have a large um, chunk of uh, you know population and and a number of countries uh, like Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, you know, uh, Uzbekistan. All these countries, uh, uh, Azerbaijan, they're they're Turkic. For our listeners, if you can explain, where is it on the the Sunni Shi spectrum, where you see right now very. Uh, a bloody conflict, awful, almost genocidal conflict in places like Iraq, in Syria, uh, Saudi Arabia's distaste for Iran, and vice versa. Where where does Turkey stand on on um, Islam, specifically the granularity of Islam and its relationship with those two big powers? You know, Iran, Saudi Arabia. You know, maybe just to give you a couple of statistics, like uh, you know, and and again, this is off the top of my head. I'm not a statistical agency. I'm just uh, a portfolio manager focusing on about 40 plus, uh, you know, emerging and frontier countries. But uh, more than 90 percent of the population in Turkey, uh, it could be close to even 97, 98 percent is Muslim, um, and and the Islam is 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 the main religion. Uh, the country was founded, as as you mentioned, on the premise that you know there is a separation between religion and and the state, so it's a it's by constitution is a secular republic. Um, but within that ninety eight percent, you know, Muslim population, uh, and, and the statistics really not so accurate because we don't go around and ask people what type of sect or or belief of Islam they have. Um, you know, there are Alevis, Alevites, you call it, I guess, in English, um, who are more Shiites. Um, you know, version of Islam. And these are about 15, and, and some even say that they, they could be as high as 20, 20% of the population. Um, so, and, and the government, uh, particularly under AKP, I think has favored more of Sunni type of uh, Islam uh, in, 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 in education, in schools, and, and 
and also even the policies, the foreign policies have been geared towards more, you know, um, getting closer with, uh, with with Sunni regimes like Saudi and Qatar and. And and the strange thing about that is that there is a you know again this is a region of of conspiracy theories uh, you know doubt first ask questions later there's a growing belief uh, among Iraqis and even some Iranians that Erdogan himself uh, supports the Islamic State passively it's almost like a salutary neglect I look the other way it's not the the most important thing to me right now not nearly as much as say fighting the Kurds or um, uh, you know covering my own ass politically and consolidating my own power. It is, uh, you know, in, in the case of, I think, the government policies, you know, again, I mean, it's uh, there is definitely within AKP the same trend. Um, you know, Erdogan slowly but surely uh, has been pushing out all the people around him who started AKP together, uh, who are actually well-respected and well-known. And, and the premise of AKP from early days was a, uh, a, 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 a more a diverse set of, um, you know, people from, um, you know, their policies from the economy to their policies towards foreign, foreign, foreign affairs to uh, internal affairs. So he's been sidelining or he's been pushing out those, uh, you know, those friends and colleagues of his who have actually started AKP. So he's left now with... Uh, you know, people that he has been selecting over the past four or five years. Um, I do see this actually as a as a drain on um, on on talent because now he has uh, less experienced, less talented people that he's left with um, because of his own kind of agenda and own you know policies. Um, the hope going forward, I think, is is going to be that he realizes with this coup that. That the government needs a uh, huge revamp, and that he needs to make peace with uh, not only secular establishment who was against this coup, but also bring on people that he started AKP with, again, who have experience, who have you know a a, a, a vision, uh, and and who are not narrow-minded. I think you know that is that would be the biggest and the most positive outcome. If he's able to turn around and then take and, and learn some lessons, um, I have to say that you know there are some early signs. We've heard you know some uh, speculations that he might actually even for the army call back you know all the secular generals and all the secular army members that uh, he has uh, pushed out with the help of Gulenist movement uh, four or five years ago. Uh, and and he's considering, or he, you know, it's being discussed that you know, in order to strengthen the army and and not, um, you know, not not risk it again in the re- in this particular region, uh, if he makes peace, you know, with uh, with what he considered before his enemies, that would be the most positive outcome for Turkey for for for. Uh, not only policymaking, but also for the economy. But what if the vise continues to, to the, the grip gets even tighter? What if he does use this as a chance to say, look, we're at a fork in the road. I have a relative amount of popularity. What at least half of the nation is fiercely supporting me. I've already gutted the military. I can see to it that there aren't uh, the, the traditional, you know, Kemal Ataturkian checks and balances. Uh, this is my chance to to kind of grab what hasn't been up for grabs in, in maybe a, a generation. I think it is to be seen. Um, I don't have an opinion on that, whether or not he's, he's going to go in that direction. But all I can say from, you know, 
people's perspective, you know, from basically my friends and family and, you know, people that I talk to in Turkey, um, this coup attempt failed, not just because AKP, you know, stood up against, but regular people stood up against, and even the army stood up against. So people, people don't only give credit to AKP, but give credit to uh, all opposition, give credit to even, you know, a majority of the army who said, no, we don't want coups anymore, um, you know, even if we don't like, you know, in, in some cases, I mean, even the, the secular establishment within the army who may not like, you know, AKP as much, they don't want to do coups anymore. They don't right. want to take over, you know, the power. So anymore. then what is the check on him, though? What is, what is, there, is, there, is there a remaining constitutional check? I mean, what if, you know, again, I'm indulging the darkest, most conspiratorial angel on my shoulder. Uh, what remains? If it, if it was traditionally the secular military that would put a check on, on too big an ego in the presidential mansion or the prime minister's palace, which, by the way, Erdogan's palace is, is enormous, right? It's not, yep. it's not exactly yep. a small condo yep. in Ankara yep. or Istanbul. Uh, what is there to kind of thwart... Uh, Maybe the reconstitution of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not going to defend, obviously, uh, you know, his spending on the palace because it's outrageous, um, and I'm not going to defend his uh, tendencies for authoritarian type of policies in the past five years, particularly in the past five years. Um, but I would, I would say this: that the biggest check and balance in Turkey will be the elections, and. What matters for mainstream people uh, is not necessarily his religious tendencies, um, but the economic management, whether or not Turkish economy will suffer from this. Because the reason why he, he has been able to gather 40, 50 percent of votes in Turkey for so long, and it's, it's, it's very rare, if not non-existent before him, for any party or any person um, you know, to be able to remain in power with such popularity uh, has been the economy. People look back and they say, you know, previous to Erdogan, previous to AKP, we've never had a period of 10 years without a major economic crisis, uh, without having a devaluation of, you know, 40, 50% or 60% in one day, without, you know, having a major recession. Uh, so, he gained a lot of popularity, I believe, with his, you know, macro stability, uh, with job creation and with growth. Now, having said that, that uh, premise is getting more and more difficult now because Turkey now for the past four years hasn't seen, you know, three, four years, hasn't seen any increase in income per capita. Uh, hasn't seen a uh, especially in the last two years, uh, the growth has been subpar, around two three percent, you know, three percent on average, um, and three percent is not enough for a country of a young population like Turkey, uh, with eighty million people to create enough jobs to uh, to 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 stop unemployment to grow. Um, so from now on, the only check and balance in my mind is that. He wants to, and he will want to create an environment that there will be investors coming in in the in in the form of not only portfolio investors like myself, but foreign direct investors coming in, setting up plans, setting up manufacturing, setting up you know um, 
and creating jobs. Uh, and to be able to do that, I think, you know, hopefully he will realize that he needs to surround himself with uh, experts and with people who are, um, you know, open-minded and who want Turkey to become more and more developed as opposed to, um, you know, creating an environment that uh, property rights will be questioned. You want to talk about property rights, we flicked at it. His presidential palace is estimated, when all said and done, to cost about a billion dollars. It's 30 times bigger than the White House, has almost 1,200 rooms. The power bill every month, the electric bill, is close to (laughs) $40,000. And it makes you wonder, I mean, here's a person who talks about piety and, and, uh, you know, Islam, which is supposed to be a self-effacing religion. Uh, And I... I just can't jibe that with I, – I, I do wonder if he, he has designs on reconstituting the Ottoman Empire, as unlikely as that sounds. Um, it is It is obviously uh, – you know, he has um, oftentimes mentioned that we young Turks, we are – we've been learning, you know, in schools more so on the history of the republic than Ottoman Empire. And, and you know, I don't think that – they or, or he in particular wants to recreate the Ottoman Empire, but certainly he wants to uh, make sure that people know that this is the continuation of an empire um, and, and therefore you should be proud and therefore you should work hard to, uh, you know, um, because you, 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 you're, you're actually, um, you know, as a Turk, you know, at least this is his kind of mindset, um, that you, you're, you're actually a superpower. That's, that's what he has in his mind. Um, having said that, Turkey is, uh, is also fragile. It's, you know, we talked about the strengths, but, but the fragility is this is an economy that doesn't save enough. The saving rate is very, very low. Um, the growth model is, uh, is, is, is based on, you know, consumption. And, and if you don't save, but you consume and you don't have the funding, then you're dependent on the foreign flows. Um, and, and, Banks now, they, they borrow money to be able to lend, you know, more and more in Europe and in the international markets. Um, you have more of a dependency also for corporates to funding from, you know, in dollars from, from outside Turkey. So there are a lot of fragilities. And now you have a current account deficit that is dimin- that, that has been declining over the past two years, but uh, still quite large in emerging market standards. Um, so you have all these fragilities. So you cannot really, as I, I'm just going to go back to my previous argument. You cannot ignore economy. You cannot ignore the fact that Tur- Turkey is not Russia, you know, in, in the sense that doesn't have oil, doesn't have commodities or Iran. Uh, Turkey is is a manufacturing economy uh, and a consumption economy and is an open economy. So you cannot create a closed country, closed market um, that would be detrimental for Erdogan, and that would be detrimental for AKP. In the few minutes we have left, Chalar, uh, I want to kind of, uh, for you, kind of freestyle to tell us which aspects of this uh, story are not being covered enough in the United States or in the Western press, and to what extent can this potentially broaden out and, and subsume other economies that have exposure to Turkey? Um, it's a very, very good question. And that's I think, why I get but... paid the big bucks to ask very, very good <laughs> questions. But go ahead, go ahead. The, the, the part that I think that is not covered is the complexity of politics. You know, it, it is not a simple coup. 
it is not the army, the whole army behind this coup. It is a faction. It is actually a movement within the government that infiltrated the government that is trying to take over. Uh, and, and, and not necessarily, uh, you know, that movement is not necessarily a democratic movement. It's a movement that uh, could create a, actually a more authoritarian, even more authoritarian regime. So that part is, uh, is, is missing in the Western media, which, to my surprise, portrays, you know, understandably, you know, very critical of the government for, you know, declaring the uh, emergency decree, the, you know, doing everything that they are doing right now to, to cleanse, you know, the government from, uh, from, 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 from these extremists. Um, but, but I don't think that, you know, the media does justice, you know, uh, to covering basically all angles of the story. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing, I think, you know, it's important that the life goes on. Um, I'm actually taking my family on a vacation in Turkey, and, and it's not a war zone, you know, unlike the portrayal by the media. It's actually pretty safe, you know, if you go on vacation in, in the west or, or south coast. And, and the good thing is, like, uh, you know, you, you pay probably half the price that you used to pay for, you know, five, six-star resorts. And you pay half the price on on Turkish Airlines, and you know I don't want to do advertising here, but uh, I think life goes on, and this is a typical emerging market uh, story. Um, but but the media makes it look so bad on 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 the news that you know it almost feels like you're going to to a war zone, which is far from from true. Finally, are you allowed to Airbnb at that presidential palace? I mean, there are 1,150 rooms. Well, I would have loved, I would have loved, but I don't think so. <laughs> Chalar Somek, thank you so much. Senior Portfolio Manager for Times Square Capital Management, joining us from Manhattan. You, sir, are a gentleman and a scholar. You're always welcome on this show. Thank you, Robin. It was a pleasure. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. Nothing but love for the RVA. Please catch us and rave about us on NPR One, WRIR, iTunes, ACAST, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Tinder, Hooli, and Thruster. I'm Robin Farzad. Back at you next week. <laughs> 